Our summaries this week contain two cases on civil procedure. In Bell v. Bell, 2023, ARC App 246, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed a trial court's order that denied a motion to set aside a default judgment. The appellate court agreed with the proposition that the trial court lost jurisdiction to set aside its order and exceptions to this proposition failed. Chief Judge Harrison explained, quote, As the divorce hearing began, the court noted that Bodie had been served October 9 and had not filed a response of pleading. The bailiff made three calls of the court for him. Bodie did not appear. After observing that it appears as if Mr. Bell is in default, the court proceeded with the hearing. Erica's counsel led her through testimony about the party's assets, her personal financial and employment situation, and her desired property division. The transcript spans some 40 pages. A detailed divorce decree was entered March 29. April 26, Bodie moved to set the decree aside under Rule 55C1, Mistake, Inadvertence, Surprise, and Excusable Neglect, C3, Fraud, Misrepresentation, and Other Misconduct of an Adverse Party, and C4, other reasons justifying relief from the operation of the decree. The motion asserts that Erica had represented they were working together to come to a settlement agreement regarding custody, visitation, support, and property division, and that in reliance on those representations, he did not answer the complaint. Bodie asserted the decree included a grossly inequitable distribution of debts and assets, both marital and non-marital, as well as an inequitable custody and visitation arrangement that went against the best interest of the minor children. His brief elaborates that he was ordered to pay alimony and a certain amount of child support to the plaintiff based on fraudulent income information that admitted the two are equal partners entitled to equal profits from their shared business. Erica responded, through new counsel, we note, a month later. Both parties appeared with counsel at a motion hearing on September 13. Both parties testified. After argument, the court requested copies of our opinions in Riggs v. Riggs, 2020 ARC App 381, and Glover v. Glover, 2020 ARC App 89. It then ruled from the bench that it would deny Bodie's motion to set aside the decree. The circuit court noted that there was a lot of testimony given regarding the defendant's meritorious defenses, but the decree could not be set aside without proof of a reason under Rule 55C. It observed that Bodie had read the summons and knew he was required to file a response and that it was stupidity on his part to not file an answer, that he thought that he and the plaintiff would split everything equally and share custody. The court noted our holding that defendants are presumed to know that if they do not respond, they will suffer default judgments and may suffer a monetary judgment against them. The circuit court did not find any support to the allegation that the plaintiff committed fraud or misrepresentation or any other conduct that induced the defendant not to file a response of pleading in this action, nor any other reason justifying relief under Rule 55C4. The court ultimately entered an order consistent with that ruling, finding Bodie had failed to prove or present sufficient evidence of any reason listed in Rule 55, including fraud, misrepresentation, or other misconduct on the part of Erica. Bodie appeals. End of quote. 
Failure to Timely File Post-Decree Petitions The first argument was post-decree petitions for relief were untimely, but this was no bar because the motion seeking relief under Arkansas Rule of Civil Procedure 55C sufficed. Quote, We must first address Erica's arguments that Bodie's post-trial motion and this resulting appeal are untimely. She argues in brief that his motion for relief from the divorce decree was filed too late under Rule 59 and denied long after the court lost jurisdiction under Rule 60A. Further, a Rule 59 motion would have been deemed denied after the 30th day, and Bodie's appeal would not be timely either. Finally, she argues it could not be a Rule 55 motion in substance because there was a trial, albeit a one-sided trial, where evidence and testimony were taken and the circuit court made findings and conclusions from that record in the decree. Erica's points about Rules 59 and 60 are well taken. However, we held that Rule 55 is a vehicle for relief from a default divorce decree in Cook v. Cook, 2022 ARC App 449. There, the defaulting spouse, now former spouse, entered an appearance soon after a divorce decree was entered, filed a timely notice of appeal from it, and tried to present her objections here. She contended she had no remedy under Rule 55 because a divorce cannot be established by default, so a divorce decree cannot be a true default judgment, and the decree there, like the one here, was based on evidence. We affirmed without addressing the defaulting spouse's objections. We did note that our appellate courts have long treated divorce decrees like default judgments when they are entered on one party's evidence against a party who did not appear. Assuming the validity of Rule 55 relief from a default decree was an open question, we answered it in Cook. End of quote. Whether absence of a written motion for default judgment makes the judgment void. There was no written motion for a default judgment, but this was no defense. Quote, Bodie's first point on appeal is that the default decree is void for one of a written motion for default judgment because Rule 55B requires the party entitled to judgment to apply to the court therefore. When an appellant argues that a default judgment is void, our review is de novo because that is a question of law. Bodie concedes that he didn't make this argument below. He argues he can raise it here because a default judgment entered without a written request, like a default judgment that exceeds the pleading's demand for relief, is void, not voidable, because it is outside the circuit court's power to enter. Review on appeal can extend to some jurisdictional defects that make a judgment void, even if no argument was made or ruled on in the circuit court but the absence of an application for default judgment is not that kind of defect. End of quote. Default as it concerns custody and visitation. Next, Appellant argued it was improper in a divorce to grant a default, but the problem is Appellant made no proffer below on this point. Quote, Here, during the September motion hearing, Bodie tried to introduce testimony to the effect that Erica had defrauded the court at the default hearing by minimizing his involvement with the children since their separation. When Erica's counsel objected, the circuit court observed, It feels to me like we're trying the divorce. 
Erica's counsel argued that Bodie was required to prove a reason under Rule 55C to set aside the decree before getting into custody matters. Bodie's counsel argued the testimony was necessary either as proof of fraud or to establish a meritorious defense on the custody issue. Bodie renews those arguments on appeal. His argument that the circuit court read Rule 55C too narrowly has some merit. Moreover, to the extent Erica contends that Bodie's default and failure to appear put her testimony at the divorce hearing beyond challenge in Rule 55 proceedings, we don't agree. But the evidence in this record would not allow us to hold that the circuit court abused its discretion by leaving the custody award in place without de facto adopting the blanket exception we rejected 9-0 in Jones' Supra. His brief in support of setting aside the default judgment states that he had been the child's primary caregiver for the last three years, and his counsel stated so in argument at the September hearing. But that fact was neither introduced nor proffered in the testimony. Whether the property division should be vacated. At the September hearing, Erica said that she did not lie to Bodie or mislead him into defaulting. Bodie testified that he had understood he would be getting joint custody and that if the parties separated amicably, they could work together with one lawyer to get it done. He argues on appeal that a confidential relationship existed between them until their divorce, so he was entitled to rely on her silence as an affirmation that no court date had been set. He did not, however, make that argument below, so we do not address it here. End of quote. End of decision. In Tinney v. Childs, 2023, ARC App 255, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed a trial court's dismissal order with prejudice in a second lawsuit and rejected arguments that plaintiff could rely on the savings statute, Art Code and Section 1656-126, when there was no actual service in the first lawsuit. Judge Barrett wrote, quote, Appellate Jonathan Tenney appeals the Garland County Circuit Court's dismissal of his complaint with prejudice against Appalese Christopher Childs and Georgia Snodgrass. He argues that the Circuit Court abused its discretion by granting Appalese motion to dismiss because of a minor procedural defect. We affirm. On June 5, 2016, Tenney was a passenger in a vehicle involved in an accident with a vehicle driven by Appalese Christopher Childs. On June 5, 2019, Tenney and the others involved in the motor vehicle accident filed a complaint against Childs and Appley Georgia Snodgrass, alleging that they had suffered personal injuries as a result of Childs' negligent operation of the vehicle and that Snodgrass, the owner of the vehicle Childs was operating at the time of the accident, negligently entrusted her vehicle to Childs. The circuit court dismissed the complaint on November 25, 2019, pursuant to Arkansas Rule of Civil Procedure 4.1, for failure to obtain service of process within the 120 days allowed or obtain a timely extension of time with leave of the court. Tenney refiled suit against Charles and Snodgrass on November 25, 2020, again alleging negligence against Childs in the motor vehicle accident and negligent entrustment against Snodgrass for allowing Childs to operate her vehicle. After two unsuccessful attempts to serve Childs by certified restricted mail delivery, one of which was returned unclaimed and the second of which was returned not deliverable as addressed, 
Tenney filed a motion requesting to be allowed to serve Childs by warning order, asserting that he had been unable to locate Childs after the two attempts to serve him by mail. The circuit court granted this motion, as well as a motion for extension of time to perfect service, and Tenney served notice to Childs by warning order. On December 7, Appelees moved to dismiss Tenney's complaint, alleging that the second complaint was untimely because a statute of limitations had expired and that Tenney was not entitled to the benefit of the savings statute because he had failed to achieve service in the original action. Tenney asserted that he was entitled to the benefit of the savings statute because it is intended to protect persons who filed an action in good faith and in a timely manner, who would suffer a loss of relief on the merits due to a procedural defect by extending the time to correct a dismissal without prejudice when the statute of limitations would otherwise bar the suit. In response, the appellees argued that because there was no evidence of any attempted service in the original action, Tenney was not entitled to avail himself of the protection of the savings statute, and the second complaint must be dismissed with prejudice as untimely filed. The circuit court dismissed Tenney's complaint in an order filed on February 15, 2022, and Tenney appealed that dismissal to this court. End of quote. The Court of Appeals reasoned that failure to effect service in the first suit disallowed Plainter from using the savings statute. Quote, because service was never completed in Tenney's first cause of action, not even defective service, the lawsuit was never commenced. The three-year statute of limitations ran before the second complaint was filed, and because service was never completed in the first lawsuit, Tenney was not entitled to the benefit of the savings statute. The circuit court properly dismissed Tenney's second complaint as untimely filed. End of quote. End of decision.